You're going to love this. Just love it. Why? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Never ever scared. Plus, there's no stairs here, so you know. Yes, I am. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you once again, right here, live in Los Angeles on KPFK's The Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, broadcasting live on 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, up the central coast of California. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Also, you can find us on the Stitcher radio app, the TuneIn mobile app, and now on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Delighted to be here. Delighted you could join us this afternoon for another live, uh, another live program. Uh, we're gonna have, uh, we're gonna have, be joined by a guest shortly here, but before we get there, a couple of news items I wanna hit. Uh, yesterday, outside Houston in Cypress, Texas, 14 people were stabbed at Lone Star College. You may have heard about that. This, uh, madman who went on a, uh, on a stabbing tear. I wanted to point out, however, that of the 14 people injured, currently uh, two are listed in critical condition, but so far, zero have died. I mention this because on the day of the uh, Newtown shooting back uh, last December, uh, the, 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 well, I want to say the wingnuts, but really the tools who are doing the work of the NRA, the first thing they ran out and said, hey, it's not so bad that, uh, that 20 kids were killed, 26 people were shot in Newtown, because if we ban, uh, if we ban guns, if we ban weapons, look what'll have, look what happened today in China. And that same day in China, in a, uh, kindergarten, I believe it was, 21 kindergarten kids were stabbed with a knife. What the apologists for the gun industry failed to note back then, and haven't noted today either, so I'm noting it again, is that none of those kids in that uh, Chinese kindergarten were actually killed in that knife attack, much as none of the 14 folks at uh, Lone Star College in Cypress, Texas, none of them died either. You suppose that would happen if we had a... uh, uh, if this uh, nut job had had an automatic rifle with, uh, you know, 30 or 100 rounds in his magazine. In the meantime, uh, NRA champion Senators Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Democrat, and Pat Toomey, Republican from Pennsylvania, two senators with an A rating from the National Rifle Association, announced they've reached a bipartisan deal to expand background checks for gun purchases. 
Republicans uh, seem now to be buckling on their uh, previously promised threat to filibuster any gun safety legislation. So we may see a vote in the U.S. Senate on Thursday if the Republicans allow it. Oh, and if Harry Reid allows it. Remember, uh, he was the one who said there, there's probably not going to be a vote on uh, on the ban of of uh, assault weapons, high-capacity magazines. So uh, there will be, we think now, a vote on expanded background checks. Well, that's good, since more than 90% of Americans, including 88% of Republicans and NRA members, by the way, support universal background checks. The fact that we haven't had a vote even up until now, frankly, is a disgrace. Meanwhile, the NRA, which until a few years ago had called for universal background checks themselves for everyone, they say in response to the deal today between uh, Manchin and Toomey that background checks will do nothing to stop shootings, even though tens of thousands of gun sales have indeed been blocked uh, to uh, to criminals in the existing background check system, which only covers about 60% of sales. TPM reports today that the uh, Manchin-Toomey agreement is, quote, less restrictive than President Obama and Democrats had hoped for. It would require criminal background checks for firearm purchases at gun shows and Internet sales, but would exempt non-commercial private sales and transfers between friends and family members. So we will see what happens as the week progresses on that front. Uh, meantime, uh, we'll, we'll uh, talk in a little bit about a, an amazing comment today from a Republican about climate change. You're not going to want to miss that. It's uh, from Republican Joe Barton, the one who apologized. You may recall he apologized to BP back after the BP oil spill. Yes, he apologized to BP. <sighs> and we've got some news now on uh, an election fraud conviction from the 2012 presidential election. It's a story that we broke right here last year exclusively I'm not going to tell you which candidate it involves, but it was a major uh, candidate in the 2012 presidential election on the Republican side, one of the top GOP contenders. And yes, there are felony charges, more charges coming, and possibly more arrests on the way, say prosecutors. So you are going to want to stay tuned for all of that. Before we get there, however... This from Reuters, a federal judge has ruled the Obama administration broke the law when it issued oil leases in central California without fully weighing the environmental impact of fracking. A setback for companies seeking to exploit the region's enormous energy resources. The decision made public on Monday effectively bars for the time being any drilling on two tracts of land comprising 2,500 acres leased for oil and gas development in 2011 by the Interior Department's Bureau of Land Management in Monterey County, California. The tract lies atop a massive bed of sedimentary rock known as Monterey Shale Formation. Uh, it's estimated by the Energy Department to contain more than 15 billion barrels of oil, equal to 64% of the total U.S. shale oil reserves. Most of that oil, however, is not economically retrievable, except by hydraulic fracturing or fracking. 
a production-boosting technique, as described by Reuters, in which large amounts of water, sand, and chemicals are injected into shale formations to force hydrocarbon fuels to the surface. This, frankly, is a big victory for opponents of fracking. And here to talk about this big victory is the man who won this big victory. Uh, and, and we'll see what will come of this big victory, if it can hold. Brendan Cummings joins us. He's a senior counsel and Wildlands Program Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, a national nonprofit conservation organization with more than half a million members and online activists. He's based in Joshua Tree, California, and he was the lead counsel in the Monterey Shale case filed against the federal government that we are talking about this afternoon. Brendan Cummings, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the good fight and for joining us here. The reason that this jumped out, uh, uh, jumped out off the page to me, Brendan, uh, this seems to be more than just a local issue. I know it's a victory up in uh, in the central coast of California, a victory, uh, you know, in the fight to preserve that area uh, against the oil companies trying to get at that Monterey shale. But this seems to me to be a much larger victory. You called it a, uh, a watershed ruling yesterday or, or this week in your statement in response to the ruling. Why? Why is this a watershed ruling and what effect will this have nationally? Uh, as you see it, Brendan. Well, as you say, at its narrowest, the court opinion deals with only the 2,500 acres in Monterey County. Mm-hmm. But the significance of it goes far beyond that in that this is the first federal court ruling that we're aware of um, where a federal judge has overturned a government lease sale decision based on their failure to analyze the impacts of fracking. So um, over the past However many years, um, the federal government, through the Bureau of Land Management, has been offering lease sales in California and around the western United States where it owns land um, with a very cursory, superficial analysis of what the potential impacts um, of such leasing and development would be. And we decided to challenge one of these leases, um, which was issued late in 2011 that covered lands in Monterey County. And... The, the basis of our challenge was essentially that fracking changes everything. Any um, environmental analyses that don't consider fracking um, don't don't address the significant risks to water and air and uh, other resources um, that fracking puts at severe risk. And equally importantly, um, the federal government's been managing these lands mm-hmm. as if. Um, Fracking simply didn't exist, and if it doesn't exist, they're uneconomic to develop, and therefore the government pretty much was saying, we'll lease the land, someone might buy them, but the odds of any drilling actually occurring are almost nothing, so there's no environmental impacts. So so in 2006, as I understand it, there was an environmental impact study of some sort in 2006, but it didn't look at uh, the environmental impact of fracking on that land. What did th- that study, that 2006 study that uh, Judge uh, U.S. Who is it? U.S. Magistrate Judge Paul Gruel uh, decided was not sufficient and did not meet uh, uh, the federal law here? Yeah, that was a study that the government did as a as a big planning level document. It's sort of a federal equivalent, almost of a county plan, where it lays out. Here's the areas that we're going to protect for recreation. Here's the areas that are important for wildlife. 
and here's these zones that we're going to open up for oil development. But it's it's a big picture look at things rather than specific. And when it was written, the agency was absolutely silent on fracking and the possibility that um, the rise in development of fracking, which was already occurring at that point on the eastern in the eastern United States, mm-hmm. might change things here. So, notwithstanding that. Even in 2011, when the agency was well aware that oil companies were interested in fracking the Monterey Shale, even when we brought it to their attention, when Monterey County Water Agency brought it to their attention, the federal government instead stated, no, we're not going to look at it. We're going to stick to our old assumptions that um, these lands will never be drilled and therefore there will never be an impact. So it, it, what it really, the key thing for this case, mm-hmm. in addition to it being the first um, successful um, challenge based on fracking to a federal lease sale decision is that it forces the federal government um, to do a thorough analysis of what does fracking really mean for California? Um, where's the water going to come from? What are the risks to the water? What are the risks of fracking inducing seismic events, earthquakes? What are the wildlife impacts, the air quality impacts? What does it really mean to the state if that 15 billion barrels of um, oil that's theoretically locked up in the Monterey Shale is actually released um, and burned. What are the carbon emissions of that? And so the agency doesn't want to grapple with that because that's a huge undertaking um, because if there is a fracking boom in the state, it would fundamentally change California and for the worse. Um, now they argue, but the BLM argues that uh, you know that that in order to frack on that land, uh, the oil frackers would have to apply for a license, and at that time, then there would be an environmental study of that fracking down the road. No, why did that argument not hold up in court? Well, the government always likes to say, pretty much, it's almost a kindergarten excuse. We, I don't need to do it. We already did it before in 2006, or we're going to do it later. Mm-hmm. They never want to take responsibility to do it now. And the main problem with waiting till later to do the analysis is the government has already sold off public lands to oil companies for development. And so when they do the analysis later, mm-hmm. they can't say no. They may be able to say, you know, move your well 100 feet this way mm-hmm. or design your road this way or that way or you know, here's some requirements in terms of um, the fencing you need to put around the property, but they simply cannot say at that point, don't drill. Um, so it's an analysis, um, you know, as Alice in Wonderland, first the verdict, then the trial. Right. They have already decided they're going to have to drill, um, so it's far too late to have the analysis at so, that point. So this is a matter, and in this case, this is a matter of getting in there before the oil companies actually move in, before they start setting up equipment and roads and whatever it is they're going to do, uh, to, to nip this in the bud, so to speak, rather than trying to fight it after the fact uh, once they're already good to go. Is that essentially what we're what we're looking at? Exactly. What what we've seen from the government generally, the Obama administration in particular, is unwillingness to upset anything that has any forward momentum. So um, once a lease is issued, the oil company has a certain right to drill, and it's um, it takes a degree of political courage from the administration, from a federal agency, to say, sorry, we're going to rescind that lease. We never should have issued to it. It to you. You know, we've seen yeah. the Obama administration staunchly defend the oil leases that the Bush administration mm-hmm. offered up in Alaska for Arctic drilling. So the goal is to prevent these leases from ever being issued. 
because once they're issued, it's much harder to stop the oil development on them. Now, the judge found that the uh, what what the BLM had done here, the Bureau of Land Management had done, was in violation of the National Environmental Policy Act and the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920. Now, the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA as it's uh, sometimes referred to, there had been some talk in the last couple of weeks that the Obama administration uh, had been talking about adding uh, you know, the requirement that there be uh, studies on the effects to climate, not just the immediate environment, but to the overall effects. So, you know, in the case of the Keystone Pipeline, it's not enough to, you know, find out how, you know, what effect it's going to have on the immediate environment, but to look at the larger picture, uh, you know, of adding all of this, uh, this carbon and fossil fuel to the atmosphere. Now, the White House quickly walked that back once it came out. But what I'm wondering is, in this case, uh, is this something now that will be added to NEPA, to the National Environmental Policy Act uh, elsewhere? Do they now have to say, okay, it's not enough to just look at the immediate environmental uh, you know, destruction that may happen with these projects, but we need to look at the broader picture, what will happen with, the, with fracking, uh, earthquakes, uh, poisoning the water, and those broader issues, uh, or is it too early to tell if it's going to actually change the national policy in that way, Brendan? Um, I, I would say a, a bit of each. We, as, as a lawyer, I would argue that the law already requires that, mm-hmm. and Years ago, we successfully sued um, the Bush administration to force them to look at um, global, global warming impacts under NEPA when setting fuel economy standards. So the problem is you can win a court case and you can incrementally get the agencies to change their positions, change their analyses. But unless there's individuals or organizations constantly watchdogging the agencies, um, they tend to retreat from it or the analysis really just becomes, you know, a cut and paste um, few pages of information that they add into an environmental document um, to, you know, to shield from legal challenge a decision that they've already made. The point of NEPA is in the concept that informed and participatory decision-making is supposed to lead to better results, that an informed government makes wiser decisions. Um, and as well as the public should have a right to know what the environmental impacts of the government's actions are going to be and should be able to have a process to voice its concerns. So forcing the the Obama administration to go through a much more thorough NEPA process um, for fracking in California provides a public opportunity for the public to weigh in about the concerns. It also forces them to grapple um, with the science. The key is we're going to need to... Um, put pressure on the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, the federal agency that handles these leases, to make sure they do it right and that it's not just a rote exercise. And we're also going to need to make sure that they learn from this loss and um, carry out similar analyses elsewhere in California and around um, the country where they own, own land and lease these lands out for oil drilling. So one, one of the issues I should note is this case is about 2,500 acres. Yeah. But um, while this case was being briefed, the the government also leased out an additional 18,000 acres. Right. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah, in the same area. And that, um, just a couple weeks ago, the government denied our administrative protest, which was a a precursor to being able to sue. Mm -hmm. So the environmental analysis for that lease sale was 
pretty much literally cut and pasted from the one that this court just struck down. So unless the government very quickly, um, on their own volition, acts to rescind that lease sale dealing with 18,000 acres, mm-hmm. will likely be in court on that one as well, seeking to have it overturned. And that can't s- simply be added to this case, to the same case, those 18,000 acres. You've got to actually start from scratch and sue all over again, Brendan Cummings? Um, we will have to... It's an independent agency action, so we will have to bring a new case or at least a supplemental case to the existing one. But one would hope that um, the administration, rather than defend what is clearly a losing argument, um, would um, realize that it's far better to either enter into settlement or on their own volition um, rescind the leases that they issued um, under the 18,000-acre lease sale yeah. and also refrain from um, further lease sales, which they have scheduled for later this year um, in California. Well, you know, one would have thought this administration would have uh, would have seen your suit early on and tried to make accommodations to deal with it rather than fighting it. And, you know, it, it's interesting to me because we've got, uh, you know, Barack Obama, the Obama administration, which is, you know, referred to by folks on the right as, you know, at war with oil and coal, and obviously that's absolutely nonsense uh, because he's expanding, uh, you know, drilling all over the country. So, and at the same time, by the way, we see Governor Jerry Brown out here in California also recently came out in support of uh, fracking, said it's, you know, it's it's an important uh, source of of money for California, but a source of uh, energy will decrease uh, dependency on overseas oil uh, and gas. Uh, and, and these are supposed to be the uh, liberal, I mean, this is Governor Moonbeam, for crying out loud. These are supposed to be the liberal political heroes. Wh- what are these people thinking? I, don't, I know you can't get into their mind, uh, uh, Brendan, but uh, aren't you surprised to see, you know, a Democratic administration like Barack Obama come in, a Democratic administration like Jerry Brown come in as governor of California and seem to support these same right-wing policies supporting the fossil fuel industry? Um, I, I guess I'd maybe not surprised, obviously disappointed. I, I, I think the thing that happens here is oil and and the the natural gas and oil boom that fracking technology has created in the United States over the past um, five or six years um, is an easy path to take. Um, it provides easy oil, which translates into a whole lot of money. Um, it provides a lot of jobs in the oil industry. Um, and it takes political courage to say, no, notwithstanding that that's an easy path to go, it's the wrong path. It's the wrong path for, in terms of protecting our water quality, in protecting our wildlife and open space, and most importantly, in terms of protecting our climate and the future of this planet. Um, we already know that there's at least five times as much oil and gas identified um, in known reserves than we can possibly safely burn to avoid runaway global warming and the worst impacts that it will bring upon us. Um, so we have to leave most of it in the ground, and that has to happen and begin somewhere. And California has been at the lead in efforts nationwide to fight um, climate change to reduce our greenhouse emissions. And so the battle here, the battle to keep the oil and the Monterey shale in the ground, really is one of the most important ones in the country, and if not the world, because of the, the U.S. is so critical in terms of addressing climate change. But since we have to leave this oil in the ground in most places in the world, um, 
we should start by leaving it in the ground here and instead putting our energy and resources into rapidly decarbonizing our economy um, and ramping up renewables. Well, that obviously that sounds smart to me, but you know when when it's uh, so difficult, even when you have supposedly friendly administrations uh, like the Obama administration, more notably like the Jerry Brown administration out here in California, it is uh, disappointing, as you say, to say the least. I've got just another minute or two here. I'm speaking with Brendan Cummings of the Center for Biological Diversity, the attorney who uh, just won his case uh, against the Obama administration to halt the uh, the land sale for now uh, to the oil companies up in uh, up in Monterey County. Uh, Brendan, very quickly, uh, do, are you aware, what is the difference? We're talking not about natural gas. Most people hear fracking, they think uh, it's natural gas. In this case, this is oil, uh, not natural gas. I- is there a difference uh, in the environmental impact in fracking for oil versus fracking for natural gas that you know of? Generally not. Like, fracking entered mainstream parlance um, because of the boom in natural gas drilling in the East Coast on the Marcellus Shale. Mm -hmm. But fracking for oil is what's allowed North Dakota to become um, the second leading oil state in the country and completely transform the economy and environment of that state. And in in a shale deposit in Texas is where fracking for oil really took off. Um, So, yeah, it's very similar. In either case, it involves injecting huge quantities of water, a toxic soup of chemicals that um, the oil companies refuse to disclose because they claim them as their trade secrets, um, breaking up the rock formations and hoping that the toxic fluids either stay in the ground or come back up the pipe without getting into the groundwater along the way. so yeah, it's it's a messy, dangerous, risky process, and, and you know, what, there, there's technical di- differences, but big picture, it's just as dangerous here as it would be on the east coast. And what could possibly go wrong? Uh, it was funny because as I was looking, uh, reading about this story, looking through the various reportage on it, uh, I was only able to find one story of Virginia Hennessy from the Monterey County Herald who actually mentioned the earthquake concerns. Here we are in California, after all, for crying out loud. Environmentalists, she wrote, environmentalists worry the uh, fracking technique can contaminate groundwater. Well, we don't worry. We we know that it can. We know that it does. And we know that uh, one company actually uh, just un- just had a, a, a settlement unsealed because they had poisoned someone's well. In any case, uh, it can contaminate groundwater, pollute the air, as well as trigger seismic activity in the state's most earthquake-prone area. Uh, we, we recently, uh, there was a, a study that tied an earthquake in um, in Oklahoma, I believe it was, to fracking. We've seen these earthquakes now in, in various places, Texas, Pennsylvania, I believe, tied to fracking. And we're talking about fracking the state of California? Is it just me, Brendan, or does this, even to a layman, sound like it's absolutely insane, you know, to go into, uh, you know, our existing rock and shale and start smashing it up even further and, and hoping that uh, everything is going to be okay? What could possibly go wrong? Um, I agree. It, it's, um, you know, the fact that fracking is widely, and oil, oil activities more generally, um, injecting wastewater into wells at high pressure or extracting a lot of oil out of it, all those things have been linked to earthquakes around the country, um, usually pretty mild, but occasionally quite big. But yeah, ab- absolutely, um, injecting at extreme pressures 
um, fluids that are designed to lubricate the rock, to crack the rock, um, in areas that are known earthquake zones. Um, you know, it, it's... Um, yeah, and, and you know, Oklahoma is not an earthquake zone, but yeah. yet they had earthquakes, and now we're talking about doing this uh, more and more in California. It's absolutely insane to me. Uh, Brendan Cummings, uh, in the 30 seconds I have left here, I know you have to uh, meet the judge uh, next week. He has not shut this thing down entirely. He's asked you to propose a remedy uh, and uh, asked the government as well to propose their remedy. What uh, what will you propose as your suggested remedy, and what do you expect the government will propose in this case? Um, we believe that the law and common sense require that these leases be struck down, that they be vacated and we start from scratch. Um, the government almost always argues that at most they should be suspended for a little while while they, you know, say fix the errors in their analysis. But the government always wants to sort of paper over their past mistakes without ever changing direction. And we think we should be starting from scratch here. And if if the Obama administration wants to continue to sell off California's public lands to oil companies, they need to do that through a fully participatory public process where Californians can be aware of and can chime in on the risks that doing so um, does and why it's bad policy from every possible reason, water, wildlife, uh, air quality, climate, and, of course, earthquakes. Thank you, sir. Don't let them paper it over. Brendan Cummings, the Senior Counsel and Wildlands Program Director of the Center for Biological Diversity. Good luck next week in court uh, and in this continuing fight, and I, I hope you'll stay in touch because uh, I do think this is a very important case, not just for California, but for the entire country. Thanks for talking to us today on uh, KPFK, Brendan. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Losing control right here on KPFK. This is your broadcast. We're going to come back and talk about an election fraud conviction. Had some guilty pleas this week uh, in the 2012 presidential election involving a top GOP contender. Okay, I'll just tell you, it's Newt Gingrich's campaign. You're not going to want to miss that. Plus, Desi Doyne is going to join us for the green news and much more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Bibliocracy, biblio, book, crassy, rule, where books rule. The ink is black. Like my theme song, the ink is black, the page is white, together we learn to read and write. Fiction, nonfiction, poetry, I share the best of what I read. Writers you know, some you should. The words stand out so clear and bright. Wednesday nights at 8, Bibliocracy on KPFK.
what is wrong And the evidence is clear I'm not alone There are thousands of us here This is my democracy Fighting for your democracy. This is our democracy. 24-7-365 right here on the Bradcast. You're listening to KPFK's Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen blogger and investigative journalist and troublemaker, muckraker from bradblog.com. Yes, we do have some democracy news and for change even some kind of good democracy News, yeah, you know, we don't wait until uh, you know two days before the election to talk about elections. We talk about it now, the times that it can actually make a difference and uh, something can be done about it. All right, this is a story that we first reported on last. Uh, it was January, January of 2012. We had the exclusive at Bradblog.com that there was a criminal investigation into the Newt. Gingrich campaign. Now, uh, to put this in context, we have to go back a month earlier than that, December of 2011, uh, as the uh, primary, as the GOP primary cycle was getting geared up. You may recall that one uh, Newt Gingrich, former U.S. House Speaker and Republican, was actually uh, a top contender for the 2012 Republican presidential nomination. Uh, he was actually uh, beating at the time. He was beating uh, 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 Mitt Romney. He was on top. And one of the large primary states that was coming up was Virginia. Now, Newt Gingrich is originally from Georgia, but now he lives in Virginia. It's his home state, and in Virginia, he was leading in the polls among Republicans for the GOP primary. One little problem. In Virginia, you have to have 10,000 signatures to get onto the primary ballot. Doesn't seem like a lot, for, especially for a campaign like uh, Newt Gingrich, you know, who had his own billionaire. Um, but he apparently was not able to come up with 10,000 signatures to even get on the ballot in his home state of Virginia. Well, he was able to come up with 10,000 signatures. He was actually able to come up with, uh, as he described it, 11,100 signatures. But as it turned out, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of them, were actually fraudulent, as he was caught admitting on CNN uh, in, Dece- was it in December of 2011. This is uh, this audio is a little bit difficult to hear. I'll, I'll read you what he says afterwards, but take a close listen. This is Newt Gingrich actually in Iowa speaking to one of his supporters about why he would not end up being on the Virginia GOP primary ballot. Just a mistake. We hired somebody who turned in false signatures. Turn in 11,100. Okay, in case you couldn't hear that, he said it was just a mistake. They hired someone who turned in false signatures. We turned in 11,100. We needed 10,000, 1,500 of them, he says. Newt Gingrich says. 
were by one guy who, frankly, committed fraud. That was Newt Gingrich back in December of 2011 in Iowa talking about why he could not, why he did not qualify for the Virginia ballot for the 2012 presidential primary race. Well, uh, about a month later, in January of 2012, I was able to get confirmation that, in fact, the state election board in uh, in Virginia had referred the case over to the Virginia Attorney General, Ken Cuccinelli, for a criminal investigation. And I spoke with the uh, with the uh, Attorney General's office over there for the Commonwealth, and they, in fact, confirmed there was a criminal investigation underway into this matter, into the Newt Gingrich campaign, into the reasons why hundreds, if not thousands, of fraudulent signatures were turned in in Newt Gingrich's attempt to get onto the Virginia GOP uh, primary ballot. Now, let's go back even further to 2009, an op-ed written by Newton Gingrich in which he blasted the community organization ACORN, for alleged, he called it voter fraud, which they never committed. He falsely claimed that Acorn had a long history of engaging in voter fraud and that they needed to be defunded. Now, Acorn never committed voter fraud. There is not a single fraudulent vote that was ever cast due to an improper uh, registration by an Acorn worker. The Acorn workers, the handful of them that uh, were, in fact, did turn in fraudulent signatures on voter registration forms, those folks and those forms were actually turned in by ACORN themselves. ACORN, which went through each and every registration in order to verify that it was legitimate before turning it into officials. Something that Newt Gingrich never did when he and his campaign turned in, turned in hundreds, if not thousands, of fraudulent signatures in their attempt to get onto the ballot in Virginia in 2012 onto the primary ballot. What Newt Gingrich did was way worse, way worse, frankly, than anything that Acorn was even ever accused of, at least legitimately accused of. Tommy Christopher wrote at the time that we had broken the story about the criminal investigation into Newt, uh, that uh, ACORN was required by law to submit each and every voter registration that they gathered no matter what. But unlike Gingrich, ACORN reviewed and flagged tens of thousands of dodgy applications to make it easier for registrars to weed out the likes of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. ACORN had a much better ratio of valid registrations to fraudulent ones than Gingrich did, Christopher noted. 13% of Gingrich's signatures were bogus. And by the way, that's just going by, uh, you know, Newt Gingrich's numbers in that videotape. 13% of Gingrich's signatures were bogus, while Acorn's error rate was around 1.5%. According to Project Vote, most of the Acorn applications that were rejected were duplicates, not fraudulent ones. And yet, there was Newt in 2009 in his op-ed claiming that ACORN had committed voter fraud and other illegal and illicit activities. Who was really carrying out the illegal and illicit activities? Well, it turns out that we have a guilty plea this week in Virginia. In this case, 31-year-old Jennifer Derriberry, 
who worked for Gingrich's election contractor Stillwater LLC, uh, pled guilty to felony charges of election fraud and perjury. She, uh, according to prosecutors, turned in some 400 signatures in a failed attempt to get Gingrich onto the uh, Virginia primary ballot last year. According to WVIR, the NBC affiliate in Charlottesville, nearly all of the signatures submitted by Darabury were fake. We don't know what was going on, and we are pursuing charges for the people who did something wrong here in Augusta. This is uh, Augusta, Virginia. On Mr. Gingrich's primary election, said Rupin Shah, assistant Commonwealth attorney. Shah says there were similar problems in other parts of Virginia where GOP candidates needed to uh, get 10,000 valid petitioners to get on the ballot. Gingrich submitted more than that, but a quarter a quarter of the names could not be verified. Now, Jennifer Darabary's co-defendant, Adam Dustin Ward, faces a total of 42 criminal counts himself in this case. He will face the judge in uh, in June, and prosecutors say that there may be, and this is the tantalizing part to me, there may be more arrests soon. ACORN, the community organization, the four-decade-old community organization that actually did good in this world, uh, was put out of business by the likes of the Republicans and folks like Newt Gingrich and, of course, the Democrats who, who cowardly signed along to, uh, to go along with them to defund them because they couldn't defend what was going on. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't take the time to figure out what was going on. But when it comes to election fraud in this country, we have seen case after case just like this. Real election fraud involving Republicans like Newt Gingrich and his campaign. The very same people who said that ACORN needed to be put out of business, that ACORN needed to be defunded. What do you say, once and for all, we defund Newt Gingrich, and while we're at it, how about defunding the Republican Party? Since they called for ACORN to be defunded when their workers committed fraud, why don't we defund the Republican Party when their candidates are found to have committed fraud? Yes, I suspect this story will continue. Let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. And people tend to pass you over. Because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water. Or stars in the Desi Doyen, of course, joins us when she hears that theme music. She comes skittering in here. Yes. Uh, for <laughs> so, and before we get to today's Green News report, Desi Doyen, a couple of uh, other issues I, I want to run through with you because I suspect we'll cover them in tomorrow's Green News report, but I want to make sure we get them out uh, today. Well, number one, uh, straight from here, you, you got to run where? Where are you going from here? Oh, I, um, I got called in last minute to co-host the Young Turks online okay. show. All right. And that's uh, going to be for uh, people who are paying attention when? Wednesday uh, night, tonight, at so uh, 6 p.m. Yes. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, right? That's right. Okay. YouTube slash TYT Live. You've been doing that a lot lately. Um, yeah, they have been very, uh, very good. They've been calling me in a couple of times. All so. right, don't, don't screw it up. Don't <laughs> screw it. You're going to make us all look bad, Desi Don't. I will try my okay. best not to do that. All right, now, uh, good luck with that. Uh, a couple of uh, audio clips that I've got to play before we get to today's Greed News Report. This is... 
This one is amazing. Congressman Joe Burton. Barton. Barton, you're right. Joe Barton, Republican from... Texas. Texas. I kind of want to say Republican from Exxon uh, or uh, Shell Oil. Yeah, Halliburton. Uh, Republican from Texas in a hearing this afternoon uh, in the uh, House Subcommittee on Energy and Power in support of the Northern Route Approval Act, a bill that could allow Congress to override Barack Obama if he refuses to approve the Keystone XL pipeline. Um I think this thing speaks for itself. Uh, Obviously, this guy's a climate denier, but uh, just listen to his excuse for uh, arguing that uh, climate change is not man-made. Recognize the gentleman from Texas, Mr. Barton, for five minutes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I don't think it's a secret that I'm a proponent and supporter of the Keystone Pipeline, so it's, it's somewhat redundant for me to ask too many questions, so... I would point out, though, that people like me that support hydrocarbon development don't deny that the climate is changing. I think you could have an honest difference of opinion on what's causing that change uh, without automatically uh, being either all in, that it's, it's all because of man, mankind, or it's, it's all just natural. I think there is a divergence of evidence here it comes uh, i would point out that if you're a believer in the bible uh, one would have to say the great flood is an example of climate change and that certainly wasn't because mankind had overdeveloped uh, hydrocarbon energy okay <laughs> so he says that the great flood in the bible noah's yep. flood right yes, noah's flood noah's flood that's an example he says of climate change and therefore Clearly, we didn't have overdeveloped uh, hydrocarbon energy back then. So that just goes to show you, hey, climate change, uh, what, happens all the time. Yeah, you know, well, hey, let's 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 talk about the actual science behind this, because obviously he has no idea what he's science. talking about. I You're going to drag science, science into this. Look, we've got I a know. book. We've got a flood. Uh, that, we have that a book that was written happened. by a couple of guys about 2,000 years, about a little shortly, less than 2,000 years ago, and uh-huh. that's going to be our science text. That's but our no, science. I don't think so. Basically, yes, climate has changed on this planet Earth in the 4 billion years that it has been in existence, an estimated 4 billion years. Something has to make it change. So disregarding the Bible, which, you know, is a is a Why nice does it have to make it change? It changes all the time. We went into the Ice Age. Something always the makes the climate change. In the past, when the climate has changed, it's been the tilt of the Earth. Orbital mechanics is very well understood in science right now. Something always makes it change, whether it is the tilt of the Earth, putting on more sun. For us, in this particular case, 97% of climate scientists all agree that humans are having an impact on the Earth from burning fossil fuels, which releases carbon dioxide, which is well-established physics. Carbon dioxide traps the sun's heat that raises global temperatures and has all kinds of cascading consequences and effects, which are collectively referred to as climate change. Yeah, so uh, what about the whole NOAA thing? How do you explain that? Well, actually, there is some. Um, a, 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 there is a study that, that 
suggests that Noah's flood might actually be a reference mythologically to uh, when the uh, uh, when the ice ages, you know, the, the glaciation that we have, where we have the sea levels go way up high and then they go way down low again. This is also part of the changing of Earth's oh, orbit. Science. So, science yeah, again. so it could be the science. it could be referring to the changes of yeah. the ice ages. But, you know, that's that's trying to figure out what uh, people who lived in the Middle East 2000 years ago you, were thinking. You and that's your, really difficult. You and your science. It's actually interesting that he says, I don't deny that the climate is changing. You know, uh, it was really only a year or two ago they did deny the climate was changing, and many of them still do. James Inhofe still does. So some of them are now saying, yes, the climate is changing, but man didn't cause it. Right. Now, to that end, do I have time for this? Yeah, let me let me play this uh, clip. I'm not going to play the whole thing. I just want to play a, a few seconds from the beginning. Fox News, I think this was this week, Steve Ducey. Uh, listen to the new trick they're playing now on Fox News. We're talking about, you know, climate denier Joe Barton. Fox News is fighting back. Liberals love to talk about climate change to please their environmentalist supporters, right? We can choose to believe that Superstorm Sandy and, and the most severe drought in decades and the worst wildfires some states have ever seen were all just a freak coincidence. Or we can choose to believe in the overwhelming judgment of science and act before it's too late. Science. Uh, but the new research shows people like the president might actually be setting science aside just to score a few political points. Because the inconvenient truth is the planet has not warmed in over a decade. Not true. Rich Lowry calls those people climate deniers. He, of course, the editor of the National Review. Good morning, Jason. <laughs> so so I'm not great. Great. We, we uh, can stop. Read, read, read. I don't want to. We don't have time to play the whole thing. But they go on and on about three or four or five times calling people like you, Desi Doyen, climate deniers, because you won't admit that the globe is actually getting cooler over the past 10 to 13 years. And, of course, none of that is true. It's some slippery language that they're trying out now to see if that sticks. But what they're talking about is that there appears to be a pause in the rising rate of global warming uh, surface temperatures around the world. And it's not that it's paused. It's just that it's not going as fast as it has. The rate has not been going up as fast as it has in the decades previously during the 20th century. Well, it's a little bit flatter. And the other trick that they're using is we had this huge spike in 1998. Right. And that's where they start. <laughs> right. They start in the hottest exactly. year ever recorded, which everybody here in California, I'm sure if you were here in 1998, was a really was a record hot El Nino out in the Pacific and it caused uh, it wrought havoc in weather across California. And that is what they're starting with. They're starting with the hottest year on record to then say that the rate... Everything's cooler since right. then. And what Even they're though not, we had the second warmest uh, last year, uh, everything's cooled since 1998. And even though the last 12, that the 12 of the last, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting my statistics, it's the 10 of the last, of the hottest years have all occurred since uh, 1998. So how they can explain that as being not warming is kind of crazy. But what we can say is that the uh, prevailing theory right now is that the heat has gone into the oceans, which are warming even greater at greater depths than they've ever been measured to warm before. So it's all the heat. It seems to be going in the ocean. Yeah, but that makes you now <laughs> a climate denier. Go figure. All right, let's uh, our latest green news report coming at you right now, and then we'll uh, wrap up in the couple minutes we have left. Our principal job is push the technology innovation to get the cost of the low-carbon technologies as low as possible. Obama's nominee for Energy Secretary heads to easy confirmation. Former NRC chair says U.S. nukes should be scrapped. 
Fukushima is drowning in a sea of radioactive water, plus Exxon gets a medal for safety? Of course they do. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. Liberals love to talk about climate change to please their environmentalist supporters, right? Right, Steve Ducey of Fox News, like this liberal. It is mankind and his activities which are changing the environment of our planet in damaging and dangerous ways. There goes that liberal tree hugger, Margaret Thatcher. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, with the passing of former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher this week, the right has been bowing down to her as this uh, terrific conservative icon. And yet, when it comes to global climate change, I suspect they would run her straight out of Dodge. Oh, yeah, her and Ronald Reagan are lefty tree huggers as far as today's right-wing media is concerned. In addition to that clip we just played about mankind causing global warming, here's a bit more of what she had to say just before she retired as Prime Minister. The problem of global climate change is one that affects us all, and action will only be effective if it's taken at the international level. Oh, my God. Global climate change. How was she allowed to say that? Was was that just to please her liberal donors or whatever it is that Fox News uh, just said? Well, like most traditional conservatives at the time, she actually believed in science and scientific data to inform policy. We do not live in that world anymore. Apparently not. Apparently that was her Achilles heel. She actually studied science at Oxford University. So while today's right-wingers are bowing down to Margaret Thatcher, I suspect they don't really know who she was. Anyway, what else do you have for us today? Well, the former chairman of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Dr. Gregory Yazko, who left the NRC last year, he now says that all 104 reactors in the U.S. have a major safety flaw and all should be replaced with newer technology. He was speaking at a forum on nuclear policy on Monday. Yazko pointed to the fact that reactors continue to generate massive heat even after the chain reaction is been shut down, which was one of the many issues exposed by the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant disaster. Of course, the nuclear industry disagrees with Yazko on pretty much everything, which is why he's no longer chairman of the NRC. So the former chair of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission says all nuclear power plants in the U.S. ought to be shut down? And replaced. Yes, he does. He says he's only recently come to this conclusion. Unbelievable. You'd think that would be headlines uh, anywhere else but the Green News report, but apparently not. Speaking of nuclear safety. In Japan, storage tanks at that damaged Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant are leaking radioactive water. That's according to TEPCO on Monday. About 32,000 gallons of highly contaminated radioactive water appear to have breached the inner lining of an underground storage pool. TEPCO is still manually cooling the reactors and they warn that they are running out of space to store over 250 million tons of radioactive water. And yet somehow that story isn't a top headline around the the globe either, at least not here in the U.S. Go figure. Oil giant ExxonMobil has received an award for safety. Was that before or after the tar sand spill across that neighborhood in Arkansas? It was just days after their pipeline ruptured in Mayflower, Arkansas and spilled 84,000 gallons of crude. The National Safety Council didn't mention the spill at all when they awarded Exxon their Green Cross for Safety on Sunday. They praised Exxon and its corporate bosses for their commitment to, quote, safety, security, health, and environmental performance. Unbelievable. Finally, the low-carbon economy is absolutely critical. 
renewables are absolutely central. MIT physicist Ernest Moniz appears to be headed for easy confirmation to head the Department of Energy. At his Senate confirmation hearing on Tuesday, he pleased senators from both sides of the aisle for his support of President Obama's all-of-the-above energy strategy and his openness to natural gas exports, fracking, and nuclear storage and waste issues. Now, Moniz also proposed launching an energy-based quadrennial energy review, something that would be similar to the Defense Department's periodic assessment report. All of the relevant agencies across the government will be coming together to try to advance a coherent policy. This would include, in this case, the State Department, the Department of Defense, so that our national security interests are part and parcel of our energy decisions. If Moniz succeeds in that, it would be the closest we've ever come to an actual national energy policy. Very interesting, very interesting that he's going to sail through confirmation, and more interesting that all the buzz today seems to be about Ernie Moniz's hair. Yep. Never mind his policies. For much more on that story and the other ones we couldn't get to, who cares about policy? Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Remember, you can download us anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. Everywhere, daddy, daddy, hey. Yes, your potential new Secretary of Energy may have the hair, yeah. <laughs> all hair. You have to go to our website, go to bradblog.com, get a look at his hair. Quite impressive. Hey, uh, very quickly, in the minute we have left here, Desi Doyen, uh, did Fox News in their many hagiographies hey this week of Margaret Thatcher, did they mention what a fan she was of, uh, of uh, climate change action? No, I don't think they did, actually. Up. That's one of the things I think is most stunning about, uh, you know, whatever you think of Thatcher's legacy, you know, which was quite, uh, uh, anyway. Uh, whatever mixed? You, think of, you were going to be kind and say mixed? Word. Mixed okay. is a diplomatic word All to right. say. But uh, she stood up in front of the United Nations and at other other major confabs and said we must take action on climate change. This was 23 years ago and we are still waiting. We are still waiting indeed. Uh, also, the, this NRA, the NRC, I'm sorry, National Regulatory Commission head says we need to shut down all the nuclear plants. The former uh, chair the of that The former commission? chair, Gregory Yasko, yes, he has been replaced. But yes, that is what he says. Is that Why ain't that bigger news? You got me. That's amazing to me. The head of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission says, uh, yeah, we got a problem in every single nuke plant in this country. Unbelievable. Check it out on our website. Indeed. Desi, i got to get out. Thanks. Good luck on Young Turks. Uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. And my thanks, of course, to Marco Paez, our associate producer, to G on the soundboard. Please stay tuned for uh, the 4 o'clock report with John Wiener. He'll have the nation's John Nichols in D.C. on Obama's budget. I'm sure he's a fan. Also, my thanks to Brendan Cummings. You can uh, check his work out at biologicaldiversity.org. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America.